even though the war in Ukraine is slipping down the headlines as other stories come along, it is still a really grim situation. And we hear those absolutely heartbreaking stories of what is going on in that country. Now, most of the fighting is concentrated in the eastern part of the country, and some of it is particularly intense, and people are suffering greatly. And imagine what it must be like for those Ukrainian people who are living in Russian-controlled parts of the country, the suffering that they're going through, the, the daily pressures that they must face, because we can say of those people that they are literally living with the enemy. Well, today, we have been reading together in God's Word a letter that was sent to people who were Jesus people, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were living with the enemy. Because living as a believer in Christ in the city of Pergamum would have been a really difficult thing. This was a church that needed to hear words of encouragement from the one who is the Lord, who is the head of the church himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, we're coming back to this series where we're looking at the seven letters that we can read in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, they are letters that are addressed to particular congregations in a place called Asia Minor. Now, that's nothing to do with the continent of Asia that we know of today. Rather, it was a region mainly in around Turkey, so that some of these places that we read about are perhaps places that you've even visited, although they may have a different name today. And these are words that were received by one of the apostles of Jesus, John, while he had a vision. But what I want you to be absolutely clear about is that these are words that came from Jesus, words that He speaks to His churches. And because they're words that come from the Lord Jesus, that straight away makes these really important words for us to receive and to hear and to do something about in our lives. The really key thing as we turn to this part of the Bible and as we come to this specific passage today, is that while this was a letter to a particular church at that time, in actual fact, these are things that Jesus wants His church to be like in all places and at all times. So, when you apply the logic of that, what we can say today is that what we're reading here, this is what Jesus still wants His church to be like here in Connor right now. So, with that in mind, turn with me again, please, to Revelation chapter 2 and verses 12 to 17. The, the, the setting for this congregation that Jesus is writing to is the city of Pergamum. Pergamum was an important city at this time. It was regarded as being a great place of learning, it contained one of the biggest libraries in the world, but it was also known as being a very pagan city. And Pergamum was dominated by four cults to false gods. So, in that city, 
you had four different temples to false gods, you had disciples to those false gods, and it was quite competitive. The best known of those false gods was regarded as being a god of healing, and his symbol was a serpent, so that people came from all over the Roman world in the hope that by being in that city, they would be healed of the condition that they had. And when we know that bit of background about the city in which this congregation is set, well, straight away it helps us to understand why the Lord Jesus sought to encourage and challenge this church in Pergamon. Because this was a congregation that really needed encouragement. It was set amongst people who were hostile to the gospel, who had no time for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to discover that it was also a congregation that needed rebuke from the Lord Jesus, because the problem was the influence of the enemy was so great that that influence was seeping into the very life of the church. It was changing the way in which these people thought and acted. And whenever we hear and understand that background, it also helps us to realize why this is such an important letter for us to hear today and to pay heed to, because we are a church in an increasingly pagan and godless society. Now, for those of us living in these villages of Connor and Kells, you might be surprised at that statement, and you might think to yourself, well, hang on, Philip, it doesn't really feel like a pagan place. I'm not driving down through Connor today and seeing all kinds of statues and people out worshiping in, in pagan ways, but we know that increasingly our society, that increasingly, if we're honest, our local community, people are turning away from the one true God and worshiping all kinds of other gods. And it throws up all kinds of challenges for us as a church. How do we relate to those around us? How do we relate to our society? How do we share the hope of the gospel in a society where so many people think that the gospel is not for them and that God is not for them at all? And so, the Lord Jesus gives us, as a church, guidance and challenge, and finally, a wonderful assurance as we search His Word. So, let's look at that together. But before he brings those things in this letter, Jesus begins this letter as most people would. He introduces himself. He says who he is. And it's important for us to think about his introduction because it's more than Jesus telling us who he is. He's reminding his church that he is well worth listening to. So, look at what he says in verse 12. He says, these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. So, Jesus introduces himself to the believers here in Pergamum as the judge of the world. He's saying, look, I am not someone to be messed with. I'm not a pushover. 
And it's that image of a two-edged sword, a sharp sword that carries this picture of Jesus as the judge of this world. It's a great reminder to us that ultimately the Lord Jesus will return to be the judge of all people and that His judgment will lead to separation as He talks about Himself, separation between believers, those who believed the truth about Jesus and accepted their need of Him, and then those who didn't and who rejected Christ. And that is a, a sharp division. There, there's no middle ground. There's no fence to sit on in that division that the, the Lord Jesus Himself speaks about. And so, I ask you today, which side of that division are you on? When that separation comes, where will you be? So, this introduction from the Lord Jesus is both a great encouragement and a great warning to the people who receive this letter. It's a real encouragement because it seems that actually Satan is in control of their city, as Jesus talks about in this letter. The people who were really struggling, the, the, the people of Jesus who were being persecuted must have felt that Satan was the one who was in charge, but Jesus is reminding them, I am the one with all the true authority. I am the one ultimately in charge. Ultimately, I have the victory. But it's also a great warning. He's the one with all authority. He's the one wielding that sword, and He must be listened to and obeyed. Jesus is saying that His church needs to take very seriously what He is saying. We have got some beautiful pictures of Jesus in the Scriptures, don't we? And we love those pictures. One that we love is Jesus as the Good Shepherd, and it's a good picture because it's true. It's exactly who Jesus is and what He's like and what He does as He cares deeply for His sheep. But it's not the picture that He uses here as He writes to this church. Instead, he presents himself as the powerful judge who cannot tolerate his church moving away from him. So, let's look at what he tells his church. First of all, he brings this congregation and he brings us an encouragement. He begins with something really positive to say to a church that is struggling big time. He tells them in verse 13, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. And that's a phrase that you'll see cropping up in all of these letters that Jesus writes to the churches. He says, I know. He knows, he understands what this church is going through because he is with them and he sees exactly what it is like. And that in itself must have been an incredible encouragement to people who wondered, was it worthwhile suffering for the Lord Jesus, that Jesus was watching on and seeing what they were going through? And he wants to congratulate this church on standing firm, even though they are suffering 
because of Jesus. And look at the strength of the words that he talks about the city in which they're worshiping, just how dark and godless Pergamum is, that he actually says that Satan has his throne in that city. And let's notice that Jesus believed in Satan, that he recognized that Satan, the evil one, was a real person, and that there were great powers of darkness at work in that city and in this world. That while there were all kinds of temples and idols and different false gods being worshipped, the source of all of this trouble was Satan himself. And we should note that Jesus recognizes the truth that Satan really exists, because so often we downplay that in our lives and in our church today. But we need to be sure of where this opposition comes from, just as Jesus was absolutely sure. When we look at our society today, when we look at the world around us, we could well conclude that Satan has his throne here. We think about our community, we think about our country, and people are, are turning away from God's standards. We hear about so much family breakup and, and strife within homes. We encounter bigotry and, and prejudice. We hear about the activity still to this day of paramilitaries and those who are dealing in drugs and the, the mayhem that that causes to families and people as well. And in many ways, our surrounding community, our society is a dark place. And our calling in the midst of this is to remain true to Jesus' name, as this church in Pergamum did. That's a really difficult calling, but Christ wants to encourage us to be faithful. And as the Lord Jesus did this, as He encouraged this church, He had one particular incident in mind, and it must have been an event that absolutely devastated this church and the believers in this city of Pergamum. Look on down to the rest of verse 13. Jesus said, you did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. And we don't know anything else about Antipas other than what we read in this verse here. So, what we know about him is that he suffered in the ultimate way for Jesus. His faith in Christ cost him his life. So, this is the reality for this church. This is how tough it got for them as they lived for Jesus. And as I think about that incident, it's caused me to ask myself a humbling and a searching question. It's one that I pose to those who call on the name of Jesus here today. Would you be able to endure that level of persecution? So that if someone in this congregation, and we we hope and we pray it will never be the case, but if someone in this congregation lost their life because of their faith in Christ, would you still turn up? 
Would you still be here? Would you be here worshiping the following Sunday morning? It's this terrible event that helps us to see why Jesus describes Himself to this church in the way that He does, not on this occasion as a gentle shepherd, but as someone wielding a double-edged sword. The judge of the earth who will have the last word so that it was worth it It was so worth it for the Pergamon believers to hang in there in their faith in Christ. And it's the same for us as believers, as a church today. Whatever we might have to face up to in the future because of Christ. But alongside this encouragement, there was also a warning. This was a church that was letting Jesus down in two particular ways. First of all, they accommodated the world around them. They just tried to fit in with everybody else to the cost of their witness, as we read about in verse 14. And in that verse, Jesus takes a reference from the Old Testament to explain what their church is like. Look at verse 14. He says, you have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols, and by committing sexual immorality. So, we read about that story of Balaam in the book of Numbers, and he was a man who influenced God's people at that time, the Israelites, to turn away to idol worship and the sexual immorality that accompanied it. And now, exactly the same thing was happening in Christ's church in Pergamum. It must have been such a difficult place to be a Christian believer, because to be a Christian in Pergamum meant that you stuck out like a sore thumb, and so people started to minimize the way in which they stood out. They thought for a quiet life, for an easier life, if if we just try and fit in a bit more, and they still trusted Jesus, but the result of this was compromise. They accepted and they started to live by the standards of the world rather than the standards of the Word. But Jesus called them to be different from their city. He called them to be different from those around them. And the other thing that was going on in this church that grieved the Lord Jesus was that they were a congregation that tolerated false teaching. So, that Jesus mentions the teachings of a group called the Nicolaitans, who are also referred to in his letter to Ephesus, but the difference being that in Ephesus, they booted these people out of the church, but here in Pergamum, people put up with the presence and the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Verse 15, and we don't know too much about who these people were, But what we do know is that the Nicolaitans took a very relaxed view about joining in with the pagan practices going on in the city, so that they themselves got involved in the things that were going on around the pagan temples. They even got involved in the sexual immorality 
that was going on as part of that temple worship. They ate the meat that was sacrificed to idols, and they took a very relaxed view in this. Their view was basically, well, we don't need to worry. I mean, after all, Christ has died for us. Christ has gained us forgiveness for our sin. So, what's the problem? And it was a view that completely forgot and distorted the true gospel. It was a view that took no account of the central calling that God gives to His people in Christ, that they are to be holy, that they are to be different, that they were saved by Jesus for a purpose, to stand apart and to show what He's like to the world. They treated Christ's death as if it was something that gave them a license to do what they wanted. But the gospel takes sin so seriously, and we should as well, because Jesus died because your sin and my sin is so awful. He died to set us free from that sin, not to be people who engaged in it. And this is a real danger for the church today as well, that we would excuse behavior and teaching that takes no account of holiness. And so, this is the message, the warning that Jesus brings in verse 16. Repent, therefore. That's a command to change our ways. Otherwise, Jesus says, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus is saying, if you don't do something about it, then I will. For this is Christ's church, not our church, it's His church, and He has every right to intervene in His way. But Jesus finishes with a promise. He wants to remind those who remain faithful of what lies ahead. Look at verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. And that all sounds a bit cryptic, doesn't it? That talk of hidden manna and a white stone. What is that all about? Well, this is, if you like, the code of revelation that can actually be unlocked as we read the rest of Scripture and understand what the rest of Scripture is saying, so that the hidden manna relates to the, the manna that was given to God's people when they were wandering in the wilderness. It was food that kept them alive. It was God's way of helping them and blessing them so that the believers in Pergamum would receive a hidden blessing from God. And then the white stone with a new name written on it, there's been all kinds of speculation about that, but it appears to be a promise of something in store for believers in eternity. And that's the way in which Jesus finishes this letter. And it's the way in which we're going to finish our sermon today that Jesus ends by reminding them of a different perspective, an eternal one. These people are up against it. 
They're suffering so much. They're really paying the price for being followers of Jesus in a city that is dead set against them. But Jesus encourages them, this is only for a while. You are people who should be concerned about eternity so that that would help them to endure their present sufferings and to take their stand for the truth. People, let's see Jesus for who He is. He's our good shepherd, and we love Him. We love to hear of His compassion, to hear of His goodness, to hear of the way in which He met the needs of people. But today, in His Word, Jesus presents Himself to us as a powerful judge, one who will return to separate. And where will you be? And as a church, let's not fall away from our calling to be holy, to be set apart for God, to show the difference. Let's not try and fit in to be exactly like our society around us when so much in our society is wrong and broken. But let's take our stand for the Lord and the judge of the earth, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.